Hello and welcome to another Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. We like to get out of our bubble every now and again, hear what the rest of the world thinks, and today's guest is very much not in the extended metropolitan elite Waitrose Deli Isle of the Mind. Jeff Norcott has been described as the only out and proud right-wing comedian in the country. He's a rare conservative voting comic and the only comedian we can think of who said he voted to leave the EU. The son of an active trade unionist from South London, he started doing comedy in 2001 and he's risen to become a regular on BBC Two's MASH Report and Question Time. Next year, he's publishing a book where did i go right in which he unpicks his working class upbringing and his political journey and he hosts a weekly podcast called what most people think where the guests are often people like david Badil, marcus brigstock and other bleeding heart liberals like me jeff norcott <laughs> welcome to the inner sanctum of wet lefty liberalism how are you doing well, you know me, I've made a habit in my career of being behind enemy lines. I hope that people don't turn off just yet because I think we're going to have a good chat. I do have to say, because in, in, in the tiny right-wing comedian community, there are others and I always get told off when right. I'm introduced as, as the only one. So there were, I mean, I mean, we're talking like six. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when it comes to the, the, the Christmas do, we don't have to hire a big room. Put it yeah, that it's way. a phone box more than anything, isn't it, really? Cozy, yeah. cozy environment, but yeah, it's uh, but yeah, no, there, there, there's one or two of us. But I think it's fair, very fair to say that, that that it's very unusual to have conservative voting comedians, and arguably more unusual to have openly leave voting comics. This is this is true. So we, we wanted earlier in this year, we wanted to try to stop ourselves asking people, "How's your lockdown?" Because we mm. thought it was only the last couple of months, and then it would become really boring. But as a, as a self declared libertarian. Yeah. How is your lockdown? It must have chafed against your politics. I mean, you, you reacted in the absolute correct way. You started a podcast, which normal people do. Well, uh, did- you know, fortunately, the podcast was all, already going because <laughs> I think that it took me a long time to work out what I was doing with it. And then I went weekly once lockdown started. So it takes me ages to get good at anything. So luckily for me, once I went weekly, it, it kind of fitted the time. Um, but yeah, these... I mean, I found myself saying recently, these bloody toys. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's there was this ironic uh, sort of media hubbub recently about, oh, the BBC are going to cancel left-wing comics, right-wing comedians. All they want to do is come on and blow smoke up the, the backside of the Conservative government. And I was thinking, you get me on and you see how much smoke I'm going to blow at the moment. It'd be hard to make that funny. That's always been the problem, is that comedy, whether you're left-wing, remain, right-wing, leave, to go on and say, I agree with this, that's not where comedy has ever come from the comedy comedy comes from the things that are stupid and the things that you find um ridiculous and and that's true of both sides of the political divide you mentioned it's a small christmas dinner the right wing comedy get together it's a limited guest list is it a bit lonely being in that small group out there or, or is it a handy brand are you able to use broadcasters need for balance to kind of get yourself out there well, there's no doubt that it's, it's helped me. I mean, I think, you know, one, one of the misconceptions about me is that I suddenly talk, started talking about it in 2016. The truth was that I actually, the first time was in early 2013. But in, in a strange way, in the early years of the coalition, we weren't that political, were we? I mean, if you think about yeah. how now sport is like, you know, so I, I even just called it sport by accident. It, it is, yes. Very gladiatorial, yeah. No, halfway between that and entertainment. It's the most, you know, given, especially this year, since celebrities, they normally provide a bit of an outlet in doing mad stuff, but they're all in their houses. So politics is currently everything. It, it's sort of, it's this behemoth that straddles the entertainment, sport and, and political divide. But it wasn't really like that. In the early days of the coalition, if anything, it was more focused on the kind of Bullingdon Club, wasn't it? It was more squarely mm. zeroed in on austerity and Cameron and, and Osborne and how people felt about that. So the truth is, I spoke about it for ages, but I just wasn't very good at it. And no one really gave a toss. Mm. <laughs> and then um, I just carried on because I thought it was interesting and, and I found it exciting to do. And then there's no doubt that I think, you know, 
2015, that election shook people a bit because it was the first time we really became aware of echo chambers, I think. It's often forgotten, actually, that election, how much of a surprise that majority was. And then 2016, of course, that really did uh, shake things, certainly with a broadcaster like the BBC. So it's absolutely fair to say that, you know, as a straight white middle-aged man, I have taken advantage of diversity quotas. I can't, you know, <laughs> like most, most right-wingers, you know, they sort of, uh, you know, they're quite negative about diversity quotas. But the irony for me is that I probably wouldn't have a career without them. And it's certainly the case that it's got quite a lot of conspicuous voices, not particularly comedians, but it brought people like, you know, Chloe Westy from the Taxpayers Alliance. Farage himself, a large part of that was TV wanting to have what it considered to be to be balanced. Do you feel that that, well, I mean, obviously you've just said you've, you felt like you benefited, benefited from it yourself. Do you feel that TV commissioners have kind of accidentally kind of shaped the world of politics around them with that kind of uh, panel stacking, as it were? I know, you know, I, I take more of a view, particularly with Farage, is that, that he had a constituency. If you know what I mean, there was a raft of things that mattered to him that, that just happened to matter to quite a lot of people. The fact that he had a way of talking, you know, he's got that way of talking that is good for television. You know, it's, oh. there's a lot of conviction in it. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of certain stresses. So he was made for TV in one way. But I, I simply don't think that, that UKIP or, or Brexit would have done as well if some of those preoccupations hadn't existed to a point. And I think that, you know, while politically, you know, it's a very different world being on political TV shows and comedy. Political TV shows always have balance. It's built into them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's part of their DNA. Comedy shows, that it just still is the last, for a lot of comedy producers, if I'm honest, it's the last thing that they care about is political diversity. You know, they have, and partly that's because broadcasters are looking for a number of other kinds of diversity. But, you know, if you are of the liberal left, you know, are you a Remainer and all your staff are, all the production crew are, the host is, all the other panellists are, you know, putting a right winger or a Brexiteer into that. It's not, you know, it might even be that they personally quite want to do that, but there's a lot of, perhaps there's more jeopardy in it. Do you know what I mean? So the thing I currently wonder is whether or not it is even possible for there to be political diversity in existing shows or whether there needs to be a new kind of show. But then even I, you know, the idea of loads of right wingers agreeing with each other, that yeah. doesn't appeal to me. I mean, one thing, I, I do genuinely love balance, you know. So the, the idea of a room of people agreeing with each other doesn't appeal to me, no matter who it is that's doing the agreeing. So, I mean, as a comedy fan, as somebody like, you know, is, is into this stuff, you must have liked kind of leftish comedy in the 80s and 90s because that has always yeah, been the dominant well, strain. You know, Ben Elton, Spit and Image, Fast Show and all, all, all the rest of it. Were you looking at that stuff thinking, this is making me laugh, but I don't agree with what's behind it? Or were you thinking, it's just not making me laugh? Well, I suppose, you know, my political journey happened over time. So, you know, the first two times I was able to vote, I voted Labour, then Lib Dem, then Tory. So I was sort of always lurching over to the right. I, th I think I've stopped. I don't think I'm going to go any further, right? There's I've, not much I've, further to go, Jeff, I'm afraid. You've got what you've got. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, just to reassure people, I think I'm done here, you know. But, um, but yeah, I watched those shows and I remember in particular things like Spitting Image and I thought I, I was taken with the power of satire, you know, particularly, particularly because John Major actually used to go to my school. So yeah. I, I saw the way he was represented as this tiny little grey sort of cuckolded man and yet we came to our school once and he's actually quite well built, you know. <laughs> yeah. And a lot, a lot of the women were quite taken with him. He's a, he's a bit charming, old John, you know. So, so I was already interested in that, I guess, that – it was an early marker of the disparity, I suppose, between the sort of liberal establishment's view of a conservative and, and a conservative in reality. 
Are you saying that John Major was the guy that conveyed? Because you you saw a kind of a, a role model in John Major. This is the first time I've heard anything like well, that expressed. I, he, he is in a way. I mean, you know, he is yeah. looked upon more kindly now, certainly by Remainers, I guess, because of the position that he's taken. Oh, we taken. love him. We absolutely <laughs> love him. We, we would well, give our left legs to have John Major back in. Well, he's a, he's a centrist. You know, the, the liberal left, they like continuity, don't they? More, more than anything, they, they mostly want things to carry on. Um, as they are. And, you know, the, the difference between certainly at the end of the major administration and the politics of the beginning of the Blair one weren't wildly different. So it has given, you know, having voted leave, um, it did give me cause for reflection when people like John Major weren't on the same side of that argument as me because I've got a lot of uh, re- respect for him. But um, I don't necessarily equally think that that ex-prime ministers should, you know, should always be the kind of bellwether by which the country's run. It's, it's kind of like it's relevant but it's not uh, uh, the court of arbitration. You sort of touched on this a little bit earlier. What, what do you say to the argument that, that's often brought out, which is that comedy is inherently leftish or progressive? Because comedy is essentially saying the king's got no clothes on. You know, comedy mm. comedy is a cart with a broken wheel. And the conservative point of view is we must believe the king has clothes on, even if he doesn't. You know, conservative with a small c is we must be happy with the way things are. And comedy points at, at the ridiculousness of established things. Yeah, but the but this is the thing about Tories. In the same way that every wing of politics has sort of trashed their own brand a bit, the Tories have become they're not about continuity anymore. You know, they've lost mm. their relationship with being the secure party of business. I mean, even if you look at the way they handled in the pandemic, you know, they, their actions, whether competent or not, and it probably has been quite incompetent, has been born in a lot of cases of protecting the NHS. That's not what a lot of us thought it would be going into it. So I, I think that maybe for me, culturally, the right or certainly the centre-right is more of an interesting place creatively because as the cultural establishment has become a lot more powerful, you know, that I would argue to an extent that that is also the king now. You know, if you look at woke corporations, if you look at the sort of preoccupations of, of big broadcasters, there's a lot of power invested in there. So I've always I've always thought that for satire to, to operate, all you really need is, the, I call it the three H's, right, which is there needs to either be hysteria, hyperbole, or hypocrisy, right? If anybody's engaging in that, then, then you've potentially got uh, a target. So, you know, when it comes to the old punching up and punching down thing, I, I've never seen it as, as clear cut, if you know what I mean. I've always think it's been a bit more, uh, it's, it's a bit more nebulous to me. You just said the W word. You just said woke, which is obviously the, the core of our lot, what we're talking about here. I mean, there is there is funny comedy across the board, but yeah. kind of in my experience, a lot of right wing comedy is just the same punchlines over and over again. It's just going woke or oh look, it's one legged black lesbians or oh you can't say that anymore. The same things reiterated. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think your stuff's like that because you know the pers- your persona, particularly on the week, is of this kind of massively weary guy who can't believe what you know what what's coming across him. We, we do see a lot of you know a lot of comedy on the right, particularly the blaring of the lines between what's on social media and what's kind of comedy up on stage where the jokes are all that jokes you know what i mean just saying woke at everything how do you feel about that do you feel that you know kind of it's become a is it a legit target or has it become a lazy target i think it's become a familiar target if you know what i mean in the same way that certain lines of attack came from um left-wing comedy yeah i would probably agree that that some of the targets have become familiar the, the the difference for me is that i was talking about that stuff for quite a while so i was talking about stuff in 2017 2018 people kind of doing jazz hands instead of clapping, you know. So so I've sort of not moved on, but, I, I, you know, I'm a bit more open about what it is that I find funny. I'm not thinking, oh, I have to do a bunch of woke jokes because people like that. And there's no doubt there's a massive audience for it now. But I'm not – it's a weird thing to say, but I'm not anti-woke. 
at all. I'm anti-bad ideas or unworkable ideas. It often happens that, you know, some of the woke discourse falls into that. But it's not, it's certainly not how I would um, define myself. Because, and, and another thing, you've got to remember, part of the reason I started talking about, you know, voting conservative and, and my politics is because I wanted to talk about things that no one else was saying. So as you say, if certain punchlines have become predictable, I'm already sort of moving on to think, well, what's the next thing that I want to talk about? And he, even the last tour was, you know, taking liberties that I did was, was about, you know, just hating being interfered with on any level, whether it be culturally or by the state. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not a great time since then. I was back then. I was I was moaning about healthy eating targets and stuff. I, I think we've moved on a lot from there in terms of state intervention. So, so yeah, I, I've already done my time. I mean, you, you know, if I'd have been smart, maybe I'd have done that a bit later when it got more mainstream cachet. But I can never go backwards and just think right. I'm I'm going to revisit all those subject areas because evidently there's a bigger audience for it now. I think. You know, something still has to strike me as funny for me to talk about it. I'm probably like more your kind of moaning centrist dad than your actual lefty, but your bit about accidents at work did make me laugh. You know, and he's like, if you've had an accident at work, maybe it was your fucking fault. I thought that did make me, you know, because that's that's one of the things just passes your, you know, we're surrounded by this stuff, aren't we? And you tend not, people tend not to do gags about it, but we are in a, an especially humorless and unforgiving moment yeah, for yeah. the the capital L left. And I, I did see that clip from your show where you said to the to the you asked who's who in the audience considers himself left wing, and they said thanks for coming to my show and for showing the open mindedness that your politics used to be famous for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was. I mean, that was recorded in in late 2018, and I think certainly it carried on becoming even more humorous for a good two years after that. I would say now I do see signs on the left that there's a. The, the, the humour is changing and, and it's become more self-aware. So it's more signs of more interest in left-wing comedy perhaps than there, there's been for a while. And obviously there were always exceptions to that. There were always brilliant practitioners. You know, Stuart Lee makes me laugh, even though I'm probably the person he would hate the most. You know, Frankie Boyle's always got brilliant punchlines. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that um, I think it would be... I think it could be complacent. I think that people on the right have sort of got used to the idea that we're the, we're the free speech guys now, we're the radical ones. But that that in itself can become really lazy, cosy idea. I think that, you know, sometimes and increasingly what I'm doing now is just like, like that joke that you, you said about, um, you know, if you've had an accident at work, that joke's about personal responsibility. And even though that is, you know, more of a, a concern of the right, they don't own it, you know. So anybody can laugh at, at that idea. Friend of the show, Nick Cohen, wrote a while ago that, that that today's left should be rich pickings for comedy because the censoriousness, the self-righteousness, but instead we just get that woke joke or we get Titania McGrath on Twitter going, I identify as a Breville sandwich toaster, just for, for the kind of the, e the easy pickings. Do you think that, you know, maybe, you know the, the left used to be the engine room of comedy, you know, the young ones, Ben Elton, yeah. all this kind of thing. What, where did that Where did that flip over come from? Well, I, but let's remember, I mean, I would say, you know, in terms of Titania and stuff, is there's a way that jokes get characterised aren't always, you know, the, the totality of their output. You know, yeah. so, you know, at the moment, you, a lot of people on Twitter would characterise left-wing comedians as kind of like, you know, moralising and banging the desk and telling people what to think. But actually, it's far more diverse for that. And I think that the same is true of people on the sort of non-woke or or, or right-wing side. I mean, let's bear in mind is that uh, Rick Mayo's character in The Young Ones was was an early forerunner for a Titanium McGrath. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's sometimes a mistake comedically to think that we're going into a brand new area. But 
I think that that period of the 80s and, and the recent period that we've had, th there's quite a lot of um, um, symmetry between those two things. Uh, but I don't think, you know, like people worry about this avalanche of right-wing comedy. And I, I, I think what I hope to get to is just, just a place, right, quite simply, where there's a broad sweep of opinions. Sim simply for this reason is that it's more interesting to the public, right? Um, it just... I think that it can be fun when you're sitting as comedians on a panel and you're all getting on. And I'm not saying that there definitely has to be conflict, but you can't all agree for half an hour. Yeah. You know, no, that's not the kind of, anyway, that's not the kind of television that, that I want to watch. And I, But maybe, I, you know, I'm not in a majority on that. Do you ever go easy on people because they're kind of on your side? I suppose what I do is, you know, increasingly, I, the truth was with Boris, I never voted for Boris, if you know what I mean. I voted for... I'm thinking that a conservative government was a less less worse prospect than a Labour one at that point in time, which for a lot of people is often what democracy boils down to. You know, it's the least crap of two options, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I go for Boris a bit. I mean, there is a part of me that sometimes thinks, do I need to be another comic, you know, making that joke, if you know what I mean? So, and, and often the truth is my more, if, if it's a more original joke, then I'm more likely to say it. And my more more original jokes would tend to come from, you know, looking at people, either the personalities or discourse on the left, maybe partly because less people are doing it. But the first thought is, is like, is, is this is this different enough to what loads of other people are already saying? And and so it kind of comes for that. But, you know, just being as honest as possible, yeah, I'm, I'm biased, right? Like, I, I'm biased. I think that's one thing I've always tried to admit. So that, like, we all are. And that bias will come through. There's no doubt about it. I'll definitely sort of load the decks in one favour because I want to sort of hold on to my own worldview. And I think that that is what all artists, you know, and creative people do. So you voted for Brexit. How's it yeah. going then? You're feeling like I you've got what question. you wanted? <laughs> of course it's going to come. How's it going? How it started? How's how it's it going? going? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't like kind of being mealy mouse, but I, would, I do think there's an important distinction to make between and I'm not saying that you've called me a Brexiteer, but being a Leave voter and being a Brexiteer, right? For almost everybody in the country, we were asked a question and you ended up coming down on one side or the other. And and I ended up coming down on the side of, of Leave. I think that um, I certainly, you know, I, I want a deal. I voted for a deal. That's what I was mm. sold. So, you know, I think that's true of most Leave voters as well. So I think the, the, you probably hear more on Twitter of the kind of rock and roll, hey, fuck, the, you know, let's leave without yeah. a deal. And highway to hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is but not the, the highway to hell is blocked with a lot of lorries at the minute, Jeff. There's a five-day tailback on the highway to yeah, hell. Yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 whenever Brexit actually happened, I'd, I, you know, I accepted that there would be um, disruption. My, my my view was in the medium to long term future was what I voted for. So I never doubted for one second that these things would occur. And yeah, I will be I'll be angry if there's if there's not a deal. I think that you know I mean primarily I think the the British government would probably take a bit more of the responsibility. But you know also, also look when when the vested interests are so big on either side, if the British government and the EU can't find a deal, then then there's liability on both sides too. It's a big price to pay for kicking David Cameron in the bollocks, isn't it? Though, which well, is that's not what I did. I was I was a Cameron fan. I just <laughs> here's the thing, right? And I think that you know the decision to vote Leave is often characterised um, a certain way. One of my th sort of thoughts, and this doesn't get said very often, is that I just thought they'll never give us another chance, right? Because I suspected it would be a lot closer 
the the mainstream media seem to think and so it sort of seemed like a one-off chance like you'll never get this vote again because i thought what will happen is it will be very close it will scare the crap out of the establishment and they will never ever ever offer it again so in a weird way to me you know there's a lot of talk about risk with brexit it felt like there was an element of risk in not taking that opportunity on the one occasion that i felt it would come along Mm. i mean you've i think it was i might have been on mash you were saying that uh Activated Article Fifty Two early with no plan was one of the reasons why they were why May's governance was such a, a, a disaster. That's what we used to say on Romaniacs. You are us. You are fundamentally Jeff beneath it all. You are a Romaniac. You are. No, you no, believe what we believe. Yeah, I remember that bit on the match, but it got me in a lot of trouble with uh, Leave voters. But yeah, what I'd said was it was like going into a car showroom and saying, "I want two grand off." And they said, two grand off what? And I don't play games with me, Suntown. I want two <laughs> grand off. So, so yeah, if, if I can think of an original enough joke there in yeah. that situation, if I have that feeling, I'm not going to pretend. I mean, I would say this. I, I think that there's not enough of that sometimes with left-wing comics is is because the problem they get is online is, you know, the left does love to devour itself, right? Yeah. <laughs> um so if they say something, then they'll get they'll get a worse pile on than me. I promise you. If I make a, a Corbyn joke, people think, well, that's Jeff Norcott. That's what he's going to do. You know, if Nish or, you know, Romish or someone like that makes an Andy Corbyn joke, they're going to get it a lot worse because they, it's the difference of being seen as just another bloody Tory or a traitor, right? Mm-hmm. So I can, but, but on that occasion, yeah, a lot of people, the way it was edited as well, it made it seem like I'd, like I was in favour of a second referendum, which was never the case, but... You know, that's always the risk when you do a TV bit. If the audience really laugh at all the bits that they agree with, that might be what goes out. Mm. How do you think Johnson's doing then, the, the guy you voted for this time last year? Well, as I say, I voted for a Conservative government um, led by Boris Johnson. I think that, well, he's, he's not very good. I think even the things that um, that he was supposed to be, like his home ground, right? Oh, the dispatch box. You watch him at the dispatch box. Yeah. It seemed really bad. Yeah, he's really bad. Um, I think that he hasn't shown any conviction either. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, I do think that the government originally were looking to go uh, a different way in terms of managing lockdowns. And I think that they got spooked. Now, whether that was rightly or wrongly, they definitely, they've U-turned. They've dug their heels in on things that were obviously going to end up as U-turns. And um, yeah, eventually this this conservative government have, have been much more influenced by um, focus groups and opinion polls. You know, they went into the win. Yeah, we've got this 80 seat majority, right? We're going to do exactly as we want it. You know, screw social media. But I get the impression that they've actually taken quite a lot of uh, stock of what social media is saying. And that's been both a surprise and, and arguably a disappointment. Cummings has gone. He was the kind of the conviction engine room of vote leave in, yeah. the, in, in the heart of government. Johnson just looks like he hates everything except being able to complain about, uh, you know, Land of Hope and Glory not being at the proms. He just hates everything apart from the surface culture war stuff. Do you think they've already run out of the energy they're required to govern? Well, I think, you know, you look at what happened with Boris um, last year. There was the, you know, the leadership election. Then there was renegotiating the withdrawal agreement. Then there was the election. Then there was COVID. Then, I mean, there are legitimate reasons why he might be completely spent, right? I don't know, you know, on a human level, how you can come back from that. Maybe he just doesn't want to give the satisfaction to his opponents who always said he wasn't up to it. But look, if he if he stood down early next year, Rishi Sunak comes in, I'm not disappointed with that at all. I mean, Rishi Sunak is an actual conservative as well. So I don't have any issues. The, the one area where I've actually think surprisingly, I mean, this is literally one area where he's all right, is talking straight to camera. I don't know why. He's actually all right about it. Like there's something human about him when he does that. And strangely, 
Keir Starmer, who is excellent on his feet, undeniably excellent, really falls apart when he has to address the nation. And it might seem like a really trivial thing, but those are the big kind of flagship moments in politics, right? When you have to talk Mm. to seven to eight million people just before Strictly. And I think that that is... If we're being fair to Johnson, that might be the only place where he's performed at par or above. Everything else has been a bit of a disappointment. I wouldn't even think he... I would argue he hasn't even done well on that because this, his whole sort of ruffle his hair and say, hello, folks, just really yeah. gets on your nerves or gets on my but nerves. This is, but this is Boris. When people hate Boris, I understand this. You've got to understand me. I don't love him or hate him. I'm just in the middle on him, right? Yeah. Is I see it that people that love him... Like that, you know, they they uh, extol virtues that frankly aren't there. But if you hate him, it's really hard to see anything that he's done well at all. And and the truth, honestly, I think that it that is one area, and I don't know why that is. But maybe it's because he's not facing any scrutiny in a live sense. But but yeah, look, I I get it. I get that people. If you like hate, if you really don't like the Tories, if you really hate Brexit and despise Boris, I I don't know how objective it's possible to be. I find it very hard to be objective, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Jeff, <laughs> th- thanks for joining us. Final question. Yes. Are you going to be doing the Festival of Brexit then? As they're going to need some comedy, and as you said, there's only six of you. Yeah, you- I mean, look, that is the one place that they might save money is on bookings, fees, and agents, because when you're only booking like three acts. I, you know what? I, I think the truth is, as a professional, there's everything to suggest that will be a terrible gig, right? Those kind of gigs yes. often are. Not, not because of the audience. It'll just be badly organised. It won't have good sight lines or any sound. However... There's a point, and I, this is where just just being a contrarian for the sake of it comes out. There is a part of me <laughs> that would just do it, just to, just for shits and giggles. I know that doesn't make me probably makes me a terrible um, human being, but uh, but the professional in me says that's not a good gig. Uh, probably give it a wide berth. It will be you and Roger Deltry doing it at Bernard Castle just to wind up people like me. And that's the reason that you do it. I'm absolutely convinced. Yeah, that, that's a good shout. Yeah. What, what's the most sort of trolley kind of place that you could do? Or, or on atop the White Cliffs of Dover uh, with the speakers facing the other way. I don't know. Look, I, I don't try. I try genuinely. I always think to myself, am I being a troll here? Because I think comedy should come from a better place than that. But every once in a while, there's a part of you that it is a bit delicious. <laughs> fight it jeff fight it jeff it's been really good talking to you and i've now been completely radicalized and i'm subscribing to spiked as a result of our conversation well look i mean do i if you want to get radicalized the book is available for pre-order now where did i (laughs) where did i go right and um yeah if you want to understand basically how someone you know from good left-wing stock council estate disabled parents how the hell i ended up voting for the baddies then um then you need to get that on order I haven't been radicalised. Brexit is still a terrible, terrible idea. Jeff Norcott, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Remember, there's a new Bunker Daily every day. Dailies on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays with the main panel show on Tuesdays. Back us on Patreon to get the show early and our lovely merchandise, which is made in Leave Voting Blackburn, where they need all the help they can get the way things are going. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>